This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Blessed is the one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Let me tell you about an old friend of mine. And for the sake of anonymity, I'm going to call him Mr. C. Now, Mr. C, he loved to drive. He loved to drive. He clocked up something ridiculous like 100,000 kilometers in a year when we average about 10,000. Now, Mr. C's trick was we'd be at a social event, we'd be hanging out, and he'd always be the designated driver home. And he'd say, hey, mate, do you want to lift home? Like, sure, sure. Love a lift home. You get in his car and you'd be on your phone looking out the window and without knowing it, you'd be in a totally different suburb and you'd be nowhere near home, nowhere near home. Most extreme example that Mr. C did with a friend is we're on the Northern Beaches at a social event and he was going to take him home. And without knowing, my friend was 30 minutes away at the turn off to the freeway. Ridiculous, ridiculous. Now, Mr. C, he actually knew what he was doing. He knew what was about to take place when we got in his car. Um, It's a very scary picture, very scary picture of us putting our trust in someone to take us somewhere and us getting lost. It's actually a very scary picture of us getting in a car, putting our trust in someone and ending up in a totally different place. Now, this is, of course, a very trivial example of someone leading us, someone taking us somewhere. And today we're talking about leadership. And just like that, I've lost half of you. Because Aussies, we hate leadership. It's actually in our historical fabric. You know, we're convicts. We're convicts who hate authority. We hate leadership. We're suspicious. We're suspicious of anyone who says that they are are a leader. Um, But here's the thing. I actually think our culture and our heart aches for good leadership. We're groaning for it. And there's been so much leadership abuse, so much leadership abuse. Almost everybody I meet has this deep, cynical suspicion of anyone who says, trust me, trust me, follow me, follow me, and you'll live the best life. I'm automatically, I'm suspicious of your agenda. 
I'm suspicious about the power dynamics. I'm suspicious about any form of leadership. Now, what lies beneath this mistrust of leadership is that we're actually skeptic of anyone who promises us something, you know, any kind of salesman. Though, here's the problem. We, we long to be led. We long to be led. You know, we long for someone to give us a compelling picture of the future that we can align ourselves to and follow. And this is in the heart of humans. So the question we're asking today is, who can I trust to really lead and care for me? Now, who can I really trust to lead and care for me? You know, who can I hand myself over to because I trust that they're going to show care for my heart and lead me into a future that my heart aches for? Now, I think most of us actually believe that I'm not going to be led by anybody. You know, I'm the captain of my soul. Let me tell you something today. If you don't consciously choose a leader, you will be subconsciously influenced by somebody else. Let me say that again. If you don't consciously choose a leader, you will be subconsciously influenced. You will be led. You will be led. You are not walking into a clear future that you choose. The people that shepherd the vision, your vision of the good life, they're too clever. They have too many resources. <laughs> Let me give you a modern example of this. Um, it's called Choice Architecture. Now, I came upon this uh, reading this book called Nudge. It's going to come up on the screen. Now, now look at this picture. Look at this picture of a mother elephant very specifically, but very intentionally nudging its calf. I'll put it another way, shepherding its calf. Now, this author goes on to say what choice architecture looks like in modern society. It's saying, if you can indirectly influence the choices others make, you're a choice architect. Let me give you an example that he, he says, school lunches for kids, uh, especially in poor neighborhoods where obesity and nutrition is a problem. These people, the powers that be, they go to this school and they see that the, the options are, hey, do you want pizza or nuggets? You know, Coke or Sprite? You know, cookies or chocolate? Terrible options. Now, to change the diet of the kids, they introduce a healthy option. But of course, if you offer a kid, do you want an apple or cookies? What are they going to choose? I know what I would choose. But this is what they do. This is choice architecture. Instead of giving the choice up, they go to the child. What about an apple or an orange? You get to choose. And now, and the studies show that kids lose you know, sometimes 20% of their weight. Amazing turnaround just by changing the order that they put things. Now you're there thinking, uh, James, isn't that a really good example? of someone leading and influencing. Let me give you a, dark, a darker example of this. I was at the, the checkout at Woolies the other day. Trolley, it was packed. Mum and child, and, and the trolley's so full they're gonna be there for 15 minutes. Now, now the kid, in the baby seat in the trolley, when they look over there, what do they see on the side of them? Kit Kat or Mars bar? 
<laughs> someone has very intentionally shaped that, that they have to choose between a Kit Kat and a Mars bar. Basically, the goal is to architect an environment and then the environment shapes you. And whoever controls the environment, whoever controls the framework, whoever controls the choices that are handed to you, they determine the outcome. And most people are willing to give you the illusion of freedom as long as you go to the outcome that they want. And very subtly, very slowly, they shape our vision and our values. And I could go on, but let me give you one last example. Cambridge Analytica. Cambridge Analytica. This is the company that was at the center of the Facebook data scandal. And they, they shaped political advertising in multiple elections around the world. Allow me to read this quote from an executive from Cambridge Analytica. He says, we just put information into the bloodstream of the internet and then watch it grow. We give it a little push, a nudge every now and then and over time, watch it take shape. And so this stuff infiltrates the online community, but with no branding. So it's unattributable and untrackable. This is choice architecture. We think we're autonomous, but we're being shaped in really stealthy ways. And the powers that be will make you want things, but you don't know that you've been made to want them. You just want them. Now let's get a few public celebrities and public figures to promote this and everyone will just fall into line. Now I want us to think about our life, your life, and maybe how you've been shaped by the culture. And do you think that these executives in boardrooms of Silicon Valley, that they care about your soul? That you very subtly, and maybe without knowing, you have entrusted to them to give you a vision of the good life. Um, so it's gonna be a bit bleak, right? Who can we trust? Who can we trust to give us a vision for the future? that we can follow. You know, political leaders, religious institutions, you know, our parents, celebrities. Where do we go? Where do we go? And today I want to offer this picture of a caring, a compelling leader that you can trust to shepherd your life. And it gives you a vision of a good life that leads to true rest and wholeness and flourishing. I'm going to take this journey through this beautiful poem, this rich and deep images of what life led by this leader looks like. Who can I trust to lead and care for me? Read with me Psalm 23. I'm going to read verses 1 to 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Beautiful. Now the original hearers, they have this understanding of the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. You know, this is it's a shepherd's economy. This is their life. They, the shepherd and the sheep, they developed a deep friendship, you know, with these, these sheep, you know, these animals, they cared for them. You know, they slept under the stars together. They orientated their whole life around them. And David, the writer of this psalm, he knew this metaphor in a unique way, having been a shepherd himself. 
And David in this psalm makes an outrageous claim. The Lord is my shepherd. God is my shepherd. Now, what does this life being led by the shepherd look like? You see here in verse 1 to 3, it says straight away that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Another way of saying it is that I lack nothing. For David, the fact of God's care was the end of dissatisfied need. Now, I think now most of you would be feeling some kind of dissatisfaction in, in life. This is this is just the way of modern life. We're always felt to felt to need something more. You know, I mean, I'd love a holiday. I'd love a, you guys love a holiday. If I said here's a holiday, none of you would say no. You know, here's I'd love a raise. And I just I love I love I love a day off. I constantly felt like we need something more. And you see this across our city. You know, one side of town, never satisfied, never content, always hustling, always trying to improve the standard of life, constantly discontent. But then what's interesting is you have often other side of town, they actually have more than enough, but they're not happy either because they're never at peace trying to keep everything they have, scared that if they give anything away that they may lose it also discontent. And Psalm 23 gives us a vision of life following this shepherd that leads to contentment. And how? He makes me lie down in green pastures. And you see, he, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now, I could, I could spend a whole sermon series unpacking every single line of this beautiful psalm. But I just want us to zoom in on one thing. And it's that the shepherd is leading us to rest and provision. See this repetition here of he makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He's the one leading. He's the one restoring. He's the one guiding here. You know, it's funny. The older I get, the more I realize that I can't lead myself towards happiness. I don't know if you found that. And the older I get, that the harder it is that I can lead myself to wholeness. Now, the stuff that worked when I was 18, it just doesn't work how it used to. You know, I'd have an off day, I'd feel fractured or low, whatever. Go to the gym, reset, all good. But now it feels like the pressure, the pain, the relationship strain, the responsibilities, I need more. I need something more substantial that's going to actually give me true rest. Um, I feel like at every big responsibility jump in my life, I was always trying to find something new to make me happy and whole. You know what I mean? HSC, let's go to the gym. I discovered the gym. You know, get, get real into the gains. You know, hit uni, boxing. I know. I know some of you are laughing. I actually got into a season of boxing. Love it. You know, you hit out your pain. But also, you know, it just came up short again. First full-time job, me and my mates, I remember we got into to whiskey. You know what I mean? Let's, let's start to feel a bit mature. Let's taste some good whiskeys. Didn't work though. You know, I get the Asian flush thing. It actually didn't work. Marriage, you know, I got into yoga. Don't judge me. I needed to stretch out. You know what I mean? Get some of that breathing. Get the blood flowing. First child comes. I actually haven't found anything yet. <laughs> I haven't found anything yet. But I think what... What I've learnt 
to digest and come face to face with is I actually need something more substantial in the face of the stress and the grief and the brokenness. This psalm is inviting us to places of contentment and wholeness and actually being led by something outside of ourselves. Now, that someone outside of ourselves can actually restore our souls. Now, literally translated to lead us beside restful waters. Now, restore my soul, it actually be literally translated to brings us to wholeness or actually even brings us to conversion. And we must be taken to places of wholeness. And this begins by trusting the shepherd's leading, that his ways are better than my ways. This is who our God is. This is who our God is inviting us to follow. He's saying that for those of you that are tired, I will bring you rest. For those of you that are carrying deep shame, I will lead you towards grace. For those of you that are restless, I will lead you to contentment. And for those of you that are facing death and disease, I can lead you to restoration and eternal life. These are substantial promises that bring true inner rest and wholeness. And what's beautiful, we continue to see the characteristics of this leader, this shepherd, but we we dramatically shift scene. We move from this scene of abundant contentment and wholeness to this description of fearful threat. In verse 4 here, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In a starkly different scene now. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now this here, this is, this is Hebrew hyperbole. It's actually emphasizing, picture the, the darkest, most scary, fearful place possible. Saying a valley, it's already scary enough, but a valley of the shadow gets darker of death. Now, I don't need to work too hard um, to realize that many of us experience this valley. We, we just taste the severity in life. It hits all of us. Um, the severity of this life, the brokenness of this life hits us all. Uh, a month ago, on just a random Thursday, I got a phone call from my dad and I could tell immediately from the tone of his voice that it was bad news. He let me know that my mum, my mum's breast cancer had returned. And this is pretty dark news because this is the third time in seven years and the second time in a year and a half. Immediately, I felt my, my mind descend to quite dark places. And that night, I felt myself in this valley. And again, as, mu- as much as the, the texts and the well wishes and we're here with you, they bring me a sense of warmth. But again, I needed something more substantial in that valley. I needed something more weightier to get me through. In my mind that night, the chaos and the emptiness, I needed something more. And watch what happens next year. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
for you are with me. Really? So my first response as I read this, really? Even though I'm in the darkest, hopeless, empty season of my life, you are with me. And this is the reason, this is the reason that fear fades. That in the presence of this shepherd, that we can have this peace. And to be honest, I think this is really difficult. This is a very difficult truth to practice. You know, face to face with a dark circumstance, with even death, that God is with us. Similarly, I remember um, we had our first child, April. April 21, Billy was born, but at the height of COVID, um, March hits us in lockdown. I remember Callan going to the hospital visits and it was at the stage, quite a late stage, where she had to go by herself uh, because they were limiting people in the hospital. I remember her coming home one visit, just weeping and unconsolable. And it took me a while even for me to get out of her what she was feeling. And through, through deep tears, she said, you might not be able to be with me in the delivery room. I don't know if you can imagine that. I know some of the mums, all the mums can imagine this, that in the most scary and vulnerable moment of your life, your first child, not to have the most supportive person with you, it was a very scary, scary prospect. Um, and we were in that headspace for a month. We didn't, we didn't know what this, this thing was going to be. We didn't know what, what the, the context of COVID, what it was going to be like. And man, I was, I was constantly trying to stay healthy because I knew if I got a cold, I wouldn't be able to be, be with her. But I remember one time she came out of the bedroom um, and I could tell something could happen to her. And that she said to me, I know that even if you're not going to be in there with me, I'm not alone because Jesus is going to be in there with me. And it was the most freeing truth for her that even though the person on this earth that she relies on the most, me not being there, that someone that cares for her, knows her intimately, was going to be in there in that delivery room. And I know this season for some of you, you're in this valley. You're in this valley. And this is what I'm trying to say to you. And that this is the most profound truth littered throughout all the scriptures. And Jesus was constantly saying to his friends, fear not, fear not. You can have no fear of life or aging or death or cancer or disease or hunger. No fear of any person or any creature not even the loss of all your possessions, you can live without fear in the midst of this chaotic world. How? Because God is with us. The complete sufficiency of the life without fear is a life with God's presence. Let me say that again. The complete sufficiency of life without fear is based upon the presence of God. And David, he's inviting us to live this with God life. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for you are with me. And this picture of intimacy continues. And we see this fresh image of God, not just as a shepherd, but God as a host. Verse five and six. You prepare a table before me 
In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can I be honest? I really struggled with these verses. I really struggled to uh, process them. Um, and for the longest time, I, I couldn't figure out why. You know, the shepherd stuff, the, the shepherd bringing contentment and wholeness, well, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. I, I was resonating quite quickly with that. Um, you know, God being with us in the valley, I was connecting quite quickly with us. But this idea of God being a host, hospitable, generous in the presence of my enemies. I'm struggling. I struggled to process this. I struggled to process this. You know why? Because I think in times of, of stress and strain, I want to be alone. You know I mean, I, I, I enjoy the isolation. Now give me, give me a dark room just with my thoughts. Just to let me stew on them for a bit. And I think at the heart of my want for isolation in the presence of my enemies in a time of trouble is that I don't fully trust anyone around me to bear the full brunt of what I'm experiencing, of what I'm thinking, and that they lack the resources to actually care for me. And so I read this in the, in the presence of my enemies. You're inviting me for dinner. You, you want to honor me. You want to bless me. You know, this picture of you want to anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is why I struggle with this so much. It's, it's almost too generous. It's too invasive. Now, I like this idea of a shepherd who's, who's out front. And who's out front, but distant. But a host who invites me to his table and dwells. I can dwell in his house, in his home. It felt like too much. And I didn't have framework or mapping for this. And here's the thing. Unfortunately, in our avoidance of the prosperity gospel, that we forget that even in the valley and in the presence of our enemy, God is so much better and for us and more generous than we can even imagine. That God isn't just with me, but he wants to invite me in to his home and around his table and bless me as a host. You know, this language of my, my cup overflows. If you're a guest in a Middle Eastern home, you're allowed to stay as long as your cup was full. And so this, this moment that this, this image of a cup that's constantly overflowing David's saying that, that God is constantly welcoming me in, in the presence of my enemy. He's constantly welcoming me in, in the midst of this dark circumstance to experience generosity and intimacy. It's quite stunning, really. Um, and I think a lot of us push back too quickly. You know, James, you know, being a Christian does not mean that trouble and cares and stresses and dangers are simply removed. And Psalm 23 is not saying that. It's saying, in the presence of our trouble, God is still setting a table for us. In the presence of our trouble, 
God is still setting a table for us. And I can get stunk in my, I can get stunk, I can get stuck in my funk in the valley. You know what I mean? My, my enemy's near, but I, I need to remind myself every day, how is God preparing a table for me in the presence of my enemy? This is literally what church at home has been like for us on Sundays. Now, people have literally, in spite of circumstance, come to be blessed and to be around the table. People have lost loved ones and still come in to receive blessing. People have been sleeping three, four hours a night and have still chosen to come in and receive blessing. People have become redundant, fearful of where they're going to get their next paycheck. People have still come in to receive blessing and welcome. And people have got really dark news about family members and still come in to receive blessing. And this is a picture of the Christian life. That there's always trouble, but always a spread table to be welcomed, provisioned, and honored, even in a season of trouble. And just in closing, this is a beautiful and compelling and substantial picture of what life is like being led and shepherded by God. And all of us ache for this sense of direction. My question to you is, who are you following? Who are you trusting to care for your soul and for your life? And we get this picture of this type of leader that God is, that he leads us to contentment and wholeness. Even in the valley, he's with us. Even in the presence of our enemies, he's wanting to honor and bless us. This is a vision of life I want to follow. And I will contest that this is actually the most beautiful and generous vision of life. It's restful and it's substantial. And I want you to see this God, this shepherd, this host, that he's good and he is worthy to be trusted and you can surrender to him. Growing up, I played rugby a lot. Um, I used to play all over New South Wales, live in Northern Beaches, we'd drive to Eastern suburbs, Parramatta, Southern districts, almost as far as Orange sometimes. Now, every now and then my mum would drive. Now, when my mum drove me, to these games I was anxious <laughs> I was fearful I actually this is before the days of Google Maps and you know Tom Toms I, I, I had a physical map you know what I mean I had this map on my lap and she was relying on me for directions and I was anxious I was looking at this map and I was like is this a one-way street I have no I have no idea is the traffic thick I have no idea and you know some of you guys you don't even remember these days but it was stressful times and I would literally I have no idea where I was going, but my mum was relying on me and I, and I felt fearful and anxious. And I'd show up to games just highly strung. But when my dad drove me to the games, it was a different picture. Because my dad, he knew where I was going. I always, I have this clear picture of him the night before games. He would always have... Um, the street directory opened, the Gregory Street Directory, I don't know if some of you can remember it, and he would literally study it. He would study it for hours. And so that next day when I got in the car with my dad, I could rest. And this is what I literally did when I got in the passenger seat. I would click, click the seat, I would recline, and I would shut my eyes. I'd often nap, I'd fall asleep. He would have 702 ABC radio on, and I knew that he was gonna get me there. 
I had pure confidence that he knew where he was going and he was going to get me there safely. Utter dependence because I trusted my father. I could recline my seat and rest. And similarly, we have this picture of a God that we can trust because he cares for us. He knows where we are going and he invites us to follow and to rest. Today, I want you to have an acute awareness that someone else is in charge of your life, that he is good, that you are loved and you are under his care and his watchful eye. And I want, you, I want to invite you to follow this good shepherd, this good host, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time, and to experience this rest, contentment, this wholeness, this withness in the valley, and this generosity in the presence of my enemies. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to, I want to thank you that this is who you are, that you are a God that leads us to contentment and wholeness, that you're a God that is with us in the valley, Lord, and, and a God that even in the presence of our enemies, in a, in, a, in a season of trouble, that you are preparing a table for us, that you want to honor us and you want to bless us. And God, I even want to pray right now for people, maybe even for the first time, that we would follow and rest in your leading, that we would follow and rest in your leading. And so Holy Spirit, now as we again enter into your presence, as we sing, as we worship, that we would, um, we would rest and follow you as the good shepherd and the good host. And I pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. <laughs>